This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Galley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. This is the time of year when the New Hampshire primary usually heats up. As the leaves change, presidential candidates are seen across the Grand Estate. But how real is the New Hampshire primary these days? Joining me now to discuss that is Anne-Marie Timmons from the New Hampshire Bulletin and James Pendle, a reporter for the Boston Globe and political contributor at MSNBC. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I want to start with you, uh, Anne-Marie. New Hampshire's first-in-the-nation status has been in trouble for a while now, especially with plans from the Democratic National Committee to move South Carolina up first. But that's not the only threat to what we think of as the New Hampshire primary. I know you both have been covering politics in the state, but Anne-Marie, how has this primary been different for, for you? What are you seeing from years past? I think the main thing that I'm seeing is just the complete lack of access that New Hampshire media or a lot of the local media are having to these candidates. It used to be they'd come into newsrooms for an hour, you know, take hard questions, answer them, be available. And you just don't, we're not seeing that at all. Um, and if I, if that sounds like sour grapes, it's not. I think it's a loss to voters in New Hampshire and beyond because increasingly all of our coverage, you know, goes everywhere. And I just think about the John McCain days or even the Wes Clark days, uh, Clark ran in 2004. He had a bus for all of us. We would watch him swim in the morning. He was always available. Um, and I just can't imagine that happening now. And I think that kind of also, you know, one-way communication with TV, you know, outlets, it's very hard to fact check that in the moment. It's hard to get in a hard question. So I, I just think there, the lack of access um, is, is so hugely different. And and a problem. You don't have a gaggle of reporters following uh, every move on these with these candidates like like you, you did back in the time. No, back in the no, day. it's very controlled. Yeah. Um, James, what about you? What kind of changes have you been seeing? Well, this primary is unique in the sense that we have two basic front runners, two presidents running for re-election. So that has had a direct impact on the amount of activity and who even runs in the race. And then it's not unique in the sense that. This is a continuation of a trend line now in its third uh, New Hampshire primary, where the primary is really uh, as what the primary as we used to think of it, the romantic version of the primary, where there's town halls and robust activity. And the candidate doesn't just answer questions from media, local media, but from everyday people at town hall meetings. I mean, the typical thing of you know spending an hour at a town hall meeting and taking eight questions is now reduced to basically three. And then there's no lingering around uh, afterwards. So we can talk about why this is a unique, uh, but the bottom result is that uh, the New Hampshire primary today is not the New Hampshire primary that existed 20 years ago. And that's to Anne-Marie's point. You were saying, Anne-Marie, that this is really, it's it's one-way communication at this point. How has the messaging from the candidates been, been changing? It's um, a lot of social media, I think. And, you know, that is one way how do you fact check that in the moment? You can't. So it, that's a huge control um, for the the candidates. They also it's a, it's efficient. They make one visit somewhere and it becomes easily postable everywhere. I first noticed um, the increasing lack of access back in um, 2012. Uh, Rick Perry was running, and it was the first time reporters in my memory were penned off. We could not linger in the audience. I couldn't have told you what Rick Perry was wearing. Um, that's how far away we were and really, um, really secured off in a, in a pen, literally in a pen. Um, and so I just think that kind of um, distance from 
media who can really ask questions um, is is just gotten worse. And James, how accessible are those candidates? As you were saying, it, it's we do not see those town hall style events like we used to, do we? Well, look, uh, we, we don't. Uh, it, it, well, we do, but we don't see as many of them. And we see them to be tighter and tighter and tighter. Look, the single biggest factor in the change of this New Hampshire primary is that the national parties, uh, in terms of the Republican National Committee and the Democratic National Committee, are injecting more power in the process. They finally found a way to take power away from these early states. And what they did, uh, tactically speaking, is they set criteria for to make their debates. They started running debates, and then they set criteria on who can make the debate stage. And those criteria basically revolves around uh, fundraising nationwide. You have to have so much dollars in so many different states, which is 20 states, by the way, and national poll numbers. So now there's more incentive for a candidate to get momentum or heck, to even make a debate stage to make sure that they're in this particular case in a Republican primary on Fox News uh, more than they are in Franklin, New Hampshire, because they have to have more people in Oklahoma telling a pollster that they like that particular candidate. And we saw this happen with Democrats uh, last time. So that has changed the incentive and how these campaigns act. And they have less incentive to take questions from local media or from the uh, local person who wants to just come check out and kick the tires. They have less incentive to build teams. I mean, look, the romantic notion of Jimmy Carter spending the night with supporters and then campaigning for it in 1976 is contrasted with what happened in 2016, where Bernie Sanders had was known ideologically and created a connection with his uh, with his supporters. But he wasn't really a big ground game component. And Donald Trump famously never spent the night in the state. And so ever since then, it, we have been continuing on this path of the primary changing and not for the better. Sure. Now, beyond bruised egos here, local bruised egos, it, it's really the nationalization of politics, isn't it? Well, because the national parties have made it more yeah. nationalization. And, and New Hampshire, frankly, New Hampshire's leaders have not protected the primary. Um, it, there is some... There's some criticism that should be leveled there. They never even saw the moves happening the last year from the, from the White House to try to get rid of the New Hampshire primary. But there's more subtle and important ways. Look, the whole argument for the New Hampshire primary is that those who run for president are governors, they are senators, they are successful in business. By definition, they live in a rarefied air. Uh, but New Hampshire forces people to, to before they be, before they become president and make decisions on who goes to war and who wins and loses in the tax code to actually engage with everyday people. It makes them better presidents. Bill Clinton has said it. John McCain said he's a better nominee. George W. Bush said he's better for the process. Every president has been better for the process. Sure. Yeah. And that process is gone. Well, Donald, fading anyway. Well, you know, Donald Trump, you brought up Donald Trump, the clear front runner, obviously, on the Republican side. He has been pretty absent in New Hampshire in this cycle. And as you said, he's never actually spent the night here. How present are the other candidates in the state, Anne-Marie? I think they're coming here um, not in equal degrees. I think Nikki Haley has the, the greatest number of visits since February, almost 20. Um, they're here um, doing these very controlled um, just events. I maybe they're happening, but we're not hearing about the kind of house parties we used to see. We're certainly not getting invited to them if if they are happening. So uh, increasingly, we've seen some visits, 
Um, but then you have like an Asa Hutchinson on the other end um, hasn't been here that much. So uh, definitely a few are here a lot, but not in the way, as, as James said, in this sort of way that we can kick the tires and really have a sense of who they are. It's, it's again, very, very controlled. Have we seen any candidates having those older older style events, though, where, where uh, you know, attendees really get to ask questions at all? Are we seeing any candidate do that? When I was talking with sort of old time veterans of running political campaigns, they pointed to um, Chris Christie as someone who is doing more of that. And I think we do think of him as someone who can roll with the punches, so to speak. He's you know, not afraid to be outspoken. He's running in this race, I think, to be outspoken. So I, I think there's some of that with him. I think Nikki Haley is in, more available um, than other candidates You know, at, at events. You think about the time Donald Trump came um, this year, you think about a few of the other candidates. There are no no questions. Ron DeSantis is, you know, famously no questions. I'm not talking to anyone. Um, so if they are here, it it really is not the same at all. Republican presidential candidates met in their second debate earlier this week. Donald Trump again was absent. James, how important are those debates when the front runner is missing? Well, maybe for the first debate, it's interesting to see who is actually on the stage. It was the first time for, for America to see. Who else is running besides Donald Trump? But in the second one, I think we did have to ask the question, what's the point? And then after we watched the debate, which was probably the third worst debate we've seen in recent years, is hard to even listen to just because they kept talking over each other and the moderators didn't have control. You may be asking yourself, what was that? Uh, and so what was that was not a whole lot. Uh, it didn't really have much of an impact on the race. Uh, OK, given that, what were some of the highlights, if, if you could call them that? Look, I think the most important thing is that uh, these candidates are trying to use each other as foils to try to say, look, look at how I can take on someone else. Man, I could really take on Donald Trump if you want someone to take on Donald Trump. And man, if I get through the general election, I can really take on Joe Biden. So Nikki Haley was obviously quite aggressive on that. Chris Christie, pretty aggressive on on the point of, you know, I can fight for you, Republican base. But I mean, really, we're having an intellectual conversation, the most important exchange of the night, because donors are sitting on the sidelines trying to figure out where they're going to put their money if they're not with Donald Trump. Is probably when Nikki Haley tried to attack Ron DeSantis, who didn't see it coming because all those donors are like, well, maybe I should be with DeSantis um, or they're trying between her, her or Nikki Haley. I don't know where we're going to end up with that. But the highlight is someone needed a breakout performance that night and no one had one. So the winner is Donald Trump. How about you, Emory? Any takeaways for you? I thought the same. Um, I've heard people say, you know, these candidates are maybe running for second place. Maybe there's a someone who fumbles, maybe, in the front. Um, and I didn't see that either. You know, where what points came across to people that the crosstalk was almost unbearable. What really struck me were some of the questions. Um, they're questions you might have thought would come from a, a, a Democratic um kind of primary child care cost. How are you going to deal with that? You know, the dreamers, you're not letting them find rooting here. You know, I think at one point they said dreamers work and pay taxes, you know, income equality, 
that 57% of people smuggling um, people over the border are U.S. citizens. This this really surprised me. A couple of the Dem- uh, Republicans said, you know, Donald Trump added $7 million to the deficit. Uh, several times I thought, am I watching another debate? Those questions really surprised me. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we've been talking about the Republican presidential candidates, but there's also a Democratic primary happening. You, you, you could be forgiven for not knowing that. It's not very competitive. Joe Biden, most likely, uh, you know, um, no real competition. What's the latest on the Democratic side here, James? Well, look, I think we're in New Hampshire waiting to see uh, if Joe Biden will actually put his name on the ballot. Technically, New Hampshire is in compliance with the Democratic National Committee, uh, for at least for a few more weeks. Uh, and so if they are in compliance, he can put his name on the ballot. If New Hampshire, because we are not listening to what the Democratic National Committee wants, which is to make South Carolina first, if New Hampshire goes first, and we expect it will, uh, then Joe Biden technically should not put his name on the ballot. Other than that, um, there really has not been any activity. For a while in the early summer, uh, there was a lot of raised eyebrows on where Robert Kennedy uh, uh, Jr. Uh, would be. I mean, he was kind of rising in the polls, but that has uh, that was kind of been a boomlet, and that seems to be uh, no longer on the upswing. Yeah. So as we as we continue following the New Hampshire primary here, what are you keeping an eye on? I'll, I'll start with you, Emory. I, I think if that access um, increases, I'm not expecting it will, but I think it's worth us being a little more aggressive and trying trying to get that. Um, I'll be interested to see if you know if there's local debates here. Mm-hmm. Who shows up for that? Um, that would be really interesting. I yeah, think. yeah, we're watching that here at NHPR very closely as well. What about you, James? Now, the focus for a lot of these candidates has been on Iowa uh, because they think that if you're going to defeat Donald Trump, you have to beat him first. And Mm -hmm. so he's no longer inevitable. However, New Hampshire is where he's most vulnerable. Every poll says it. So I'm wondering if there's going to be a switch for some candidates. Uh, Iowa's got a very weird uh, Republican primary electorate. Two thirds are evangelical Christian. That is not America. Um, and whether they see the opportunity in New Hampshire yeah. as being uh, more fertile. We're going to have to stop you there. Thanks, James. James Pindle, reporter for the Boston Globe and political contributor at MSNBC. And Emory Timmons reports for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks both to you today. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. You can find more of their work at bostonglobe.com and newhampshirebulletin.com. And you, of course, can find more stories from NHPR at nhpr.org. This is the Friday New Hampshire News Recap.